This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 272. Hello, everybody. We made it. It is 272. Last week, we did all of the PAX Unplugged interviews because yes. it was a odd-numbered show. This week, we're kind of cheating because we have a guest. Hello, Corey. Hello, everybody. He's all right, only so you kind were... of a guest. He practically I... lives in our house now. <laughs> I mean, he was here yesterday, and now he's here again today. I mean, true. that's, that's true. That's <laughs> yep. true. Yep. Um, but as long as he's here to play board games, it's fine with me. So we're having Corey on the show because if you have been paying attention to our social media channels, you know that Corey was with me in Philadelphia for PAX Unplugged this year. And I was not. Sadly. Sorry, Corey, but she's cuter. I understand. Yeah, okay, all right, good. So this week on the show, we are going to just talk about PAX Unplugged, talk about the experience. If you follow, you know, a bunch of social media people, you're going to have seen a bunch already. But, you know, we're going to just gonna give our flavor and we're going to talk about the appointments we went to. All sorts of stuff like that. And the family games you saw. And the family games you saw. But before that, we have lots of other things to do, like welcome you. Hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I'm your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. And like I said, we have Corey here. He's too, yeah. Hey. So let's get right into this. Don't be too excited that I'm here. (laughs) I mean... Yay, Corey's here. I'm excited for Corey. (laughs) I'm excited. I'm a very special guest. Yes, you are. Um, (laughs) In more ways than one. (laughs) I do have a fact about our number 272. Are you ready, Anitra? Lay it on me. Okay, so everybody loves a Guinness world record, right? Sure. Some people love Guinness. Everybody else loves Guinness World Records. Yes. Right? Would that be accurate? Sure. Oh, okay. Uh, this week, I have a, a Guinness World Record for the tallest person ever. Okay. How does this relate to 272? He was 272 centimeters tall. Okay. Which translates in imperial units to 8 foot 11 inches tall. And a little bit. And a little bit. 11.09, if you must know. Uh, his name was Robert Wadlow. And he lived from 1918 to 1940. Oh, he was only 22. Yeah, I don't know uh, why he passed away. I mean, when you're that tall, when you're nine feet tall, like you probably have some kind of weird disease or something. Well, it could be that. It could have been the fact that, I don't know, World War II was going on. I I, I really don't know. All kinds of things. But uh, yeah, he was eight feet, 11.09 inches tall or 272 centimeters. All right. 272. That is a tall dude. And that is my fact about the episode 272. Well, I have a fact, and that is that the Family Gamers Podcast is, as always, sponsored by First Move Financial. Hold on. Now, I have to do a lot more work because I have to find a new fact every (laughs) week. Your fact is always the same. But my ad read is not always the same. That is true. And we are always thankful to First Move Financial for sponsoring the show. Let's face it. Life is a resource management game. We have so much fun sitting around the table and plotting the use of resources in games like Power Grid or Terraforming Mars. Why is it so stressful in real life to manage our resources? It doesn't have to be. Resource management in real life follows many of the same principles, but because we're in it, it's harder to see. It helps to have an outside advisor in those cases, and that's what First Move Financial can do for you. For expert help applying some of the same principles that help you take down your friends in Agricola, Head over to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers today to schedule a call. All right. And once again, thank you so much to the team at First Move Financial. So 
First half of the show, we are going to talk about the games we've been playing. Corey, we are going to hold off on the games that we played at PAX Unplugged. Otherwise, we'll be here forever. Yep. And as it turns out, the games that we've been playing has a pretty hefty overlap between the three of us. <laughs> Mostly between the two of you, because <laughs> okay. you have played way more games than me. All right. Well, let's get started. Um, the first one I'm going to mention is a game called Canopy. Okay, that one I did play. <laughs> <laughs> it was the last one I, I put on my list. Canopy is a game you're going to hear the Snap Review in the break for this show. Yes. This is a game from Tim Eisner and Weird City Games. It is technically like a two-player game, but it's got a variant for three players, which is better than the two-player version, if you ask me, where you are uh, doing some set collection with Rainforest stuff. Yeah. Yep. It's real cool. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's pretty much that. Corey, what have you been playing? Uh, well, last night I was here at this very humble abode to play Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. We're still working our way through that. We've been... I remember you when guys we... on, like, September now? Uh, August. We just August. finished August. I remember when we started back in January, we set a goal for ourselves. We were like, let's do this where we at least do it once a month and we'll keep up with the calendar. Well... It's December, but we just finished August, so not quite. That but. is because one of the people who plays is a teacher who goes away for the summer. Right, yeah. And yeah, that, that makes we were tracking tough. month on month, and then he left, and it was... <laughs> but um, I, I, so I've played season one. I never played season two. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm really enjoying season zero. I like the theme a lot mm -hmm. of the Cold War setting, and... Um, it's been challenging without being obnoxiously hard, and so it's been really good. <laughs> yeah, we've only actually failed one month one time, I think, but there have definitely been objectives in months that we failed right. fairly frequently. Right. So, <laughs> uh, but they do, they mix it up a lot. There's a lot of kind of sub-puzzles inside the game, which, you know, Pandemic Legacy, at least season one, at least as much as we've played, our half-played copy is behind us. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's got it, a story, but it's pretty much pandemic. Yeah, like, right, it, was, yeah. it was still very straightforward. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so this one definitely, like, there's a base infiltration thing. Yeah. I mean, spoiler alert, sorry. Um, and, you know, it's just some other stuff going on. So there's sure. not just, I don't think it's a spoiler, because you find out in the first scenario, not just disease stuff, but also Soviet Union, you know, troop stuff. Right. So and there's stopping of, agents, sure, counterintelligence. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's all yeah. sorts of interesting stuff yeah, going yeah. on. So Pandemic Legacy Season Zero definitely has some pretty neat stuff in it. Yep. What about you, lovely dear? I played a game with Corey's lovely wife. All right. Well, she's not ago. here on the show, though. Uh, no, uh, but we played Land versus Sea. Oh, yeah. I heard she smoked you. She did win. She didn't actually win by a large margin. Oh, really? It was just that one. However, like... she got two thirds of her points in one fell okay, swoop. So, so she barely beat you, but she landed a haymaker. Yes, yeah, okay. exactly. All right, all right, all right. I thought I was doing a good job of being like, oh, this giant landmass that you can't close off. I'm just going to keep making it so you can't close it off. And then all of a sudden she closed it off. I was like, there's no way we can count this. And then she pulled down a box of figurines from Risk so we could count out so how many So not only did she land, land the covered. haymaker, but she was the clever one who figured out how to count the stuff. Yes. All right. Yeah, I, I'm really, when I have the chance to play Land versus Sea, I'm really, really enjoying it. Corey, your family is a Carcassonne family. Right, absolutely. Um, so did Karen talk to you about Land versus Sea? Yeah, yeah. So what does she think? Her way of describing it is, hey, it's like a lot like Carcassonne, but a little with a little extra, a little advanced, some twists there that just sort mm -hmm. of, for folks who are coming from Carcassonne, it's really easy to pick up, right? And you you get the mechanics, you get what your yeah. what the objectives are, but then there's something new and fresh to mm -hmm. try out. And I will say that we played the absolute vanilla simplest version of Land versus sure. Sea. Oh yeah, there's um, more modules. There yeah. are there is more stuff you can add, which. I think is really cool and lends to the the asymmetry of it. So 
uh, when we finished with Pandemic Legacy last night, we usually have like a chaser game that we right, play. Right. Uh, frequently, and it's usually it's Fleet the Dice game. So last night, I was thinking that we would, you know, play something different than Fleet the Dice game. So we were going to pull out Super Mega Lucky Box. Right. However. But I stole it. Anitra had it with yeah. her <laughs> at your house. At my house, yeah. So it was all wrong. So right. instead of Super Mega Lucky Box, we pulled out Merchants of Magic. Right. Of course you did. I mean, of course I did. <laughs> It's and, the new hotness. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we you've played the game before. Our friend Spencer had never played the game before. So, yeah. so you curb was, stomped him then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was real oh, bad, it was, yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was a bloodbath. Yeah. But, uh, I see. <laughs> actually, you know, honestly, I did well because I have experience with the game and I know how to kind of, you know, maximize a lot of that stuff. But I, I don't think I did well for, like, you know, a, a set of experienced players. I just did, you know, better than someone who has only played the game one time. Right. But it was a game in which we had a lot of bad dice rolls. So the yeah. scores were the scores were depressed. Oh yeah. Because, you know, we just we didn't get the rolls that you would need right. to really And, and I ended craft up using a lot. a lot of the rolls to kind of complete stuff that didn't necessarily line up with items because right. at least I could complete stuff and get victory and points for completing stuff. You get victory points for completing stuff and you get potions yeah, for completing exactly, stuff. Right, exactly. And that can help you build into the right. stuff you Something actually else. want. So yeah. I finished the game with a score of 70, which is not it's, bad, it's but it's not, not usually great. a winning score for a group of people that have you know played the game a few times. So right. Yeah, normally we're like in the 100 <laughs> yeah, 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 I think range. you're yeah, and I came in at like game that I remember is like 110 or something like that. I so. came in at like 50 Eight or something yeah, like yeah, that, and then pretty. we'll we'll we just we won't mention Spencer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was you know he'll do lower. better next time. Lower, yeah, yeah, he'll do it better. Was lower, yeah. something less. <laughs> a quote a friend of ours. But um, I, I did get to meet Clarence Simpson, the creator of Merchants of Magic, mm-hmm. and Mike mm-hmm. Nade, who owns Rock Manor Publishing, nice. who published Merchants of Magic. Uh, and so it was it was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So that's second. I'm kind of sad to have missed that, but that's okay. We'll have more chances to play that. I totally agree. I'm looking back at my list. You and I tried playing Paperback. We did. We, I didn't even write that on my list. Yeah. Well, we didn't finish the game, so you might not have logged it. Right, right, but right. I figured it was worth, like, we got maybe halfway through the game, and it was enough to be like, okay, we understand how this works now, and it's time for Andrew to, you know, actually work during right. his work day. Lame work. <laughs> so, Paperback is interesting. So, we're going to talk about Word Heist later, which is a game from GameRight. I suspect we're also going to talk about Letter Jam, which yeah. is a game from uh, CGE. Yeah. Yes. Paperback is very different. Paperback is a deck-building, word-building game. It's really cool the way the game works. You use letters to build words, and then you use the money that you get from the letters that are in the words to buy more letters so that you can make better words later. But none of those things actually have anything to do with your score because you also have to, at some point, spend some of that money to get these fame cards. And the fame cards are the ones that are actually the victory points at the end of the game. They're the best ones for victory points, but there are some other cards along the way that have victory points on them. Yeah, like the starter cards. And that common stack which mm-hmm. those you get by making really long words right. right and not in any other way so really interesting i'm glad we have it it's definitely yeah. a, a different kind of word game and uh special props to tim Fowers for the first person that he thanked in the acknowledgments on the back was donald vaccarino for inventing a game genre because he's the guy who created dominion deck, right deck building. so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i thought that was just kind of that's a very metagame acknowledgement <laughs> yep. that i appreciated very much yep. so. uh let's see what else i haven't done a whole lot i'm gonna go back a little further because we haven't talked about what we've been playing in the last two okay. weeks okay. played a couple of games of big easy busking the review went up a week ago 
And our son keeps asking me now, every time we go to piano lessons, if I've brought Ice Duo with me from Looney Labs. So I bought this when we went to QsCon. You did talk about Ice Duo I a did. couple weeks ago. And he keeps asking, so I'm gonna, I need to make more of an effort to keep bringing it. Because it's two games in one package. Both of them are two-player games. And they're both really fun, but they're both really different. One is a press-your-luck game, and the other one is a sort of a hidden role game? Hidden goal game, I guess I would call it. They're really cool, and it's a really small box. It's a tiny bit bigger than our favorite Deep Sea Adventure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sweet. Well, uh, one game that we've been playing at my house quite a bit since we came home from PAX U is one that we brought home with us from PAX U. I don't know how much you want to t- me to talk about it now, but it's... Yeah, I think you can talk about it. It's uh, Galaxy Trucker, the, the new, new edition. new edition. And it has indeed hit the table every single day since I've come home. That's awesome. The, wow. the, the boys, uh, my, my teenage boys and my 10-year-old are... All three of them really, really excited about Galaxy Trucker. They're really enjoying it. They're having a great time. Sure. I will say right off the bat that I appreciate in the new edition, they made a concerted effort to make it less of a table hog okay, of a game. Right. Right? Yeah, it, the, was, it was a ridiculous The first edition uses hog. very large tiles for building your ship. And so when you had three or four players, you just took up a lot of space the on the table. table. The entire table. They made the tiles much smaller this time. So it... It comes out frequently. It's a little bit easier to clean up. They're having a great time right now just trying to make the coolest ship, and they're Mm -hmm. not pressuring themselves to, you know, because there's a mechanic within that game where as you're building your ship, you can flip the timers, try to, you know, run out the clock on your opponents. Pressure other people to go faster. But my boys at this stage, they're just, they're all really excited about trying to build the best ship possible, (laughs) right? And so they're taking that phase of the game they're taking their sweet merry time and they're <laughs> they're just building like the most incredible perfectly symmetrical awesome ships right sure, sure. um and then and it's like oh yeah and then we got to do the part where we fly them uh, <laughs> and random pieces get and random pieces and get knocked off, off. Yeah. And, yeah so did they play the original the OG version so no at they all? they never played the original board game version okay. they only played the app Mm-hmm. That was which, my introduction to the game. Right. As well. Which is really, it's really fascinating to play. So I had played the first edition. Mm-hmm. So it's really fascinating to see them come into this game. And it's something I'm going to include in the review a little bit more about their impressions specifically because their only experience was with the app. The app, of course, has a whole like campaign within mm-hmm. it. And there's, it's very much more story based. There's a little bit of story in here. And they did. One thing that I think is really cool in this new edition is they we haven't gotten to try yet is they do have this i forget what they call it but let's just say it's a story mode in which you play three games in a row and those three games in a row are supposed to build upon like the results of the previous game are supposed to build a little bit upon the next can i call it galaxy quest it's a little galaxy Uh. (laughs) legacy galaxy trucker yeah yeah Yeah. um but no no card ripping um There's also, they included achievements within uh, this edition, so, you know, a la Ticket to Ride, where you've, you know, you're trying to, you have some objectives that you're trying to accomplish over the course of the playthrough. So, it's just really fascinating to watch them play it, and uh, I'm excited because I know I'll be able to get them to help me out with doing the review. Sweet. (laughs) Anything to help with the reviews is good. All right. Yeah. So, there actually was an interview with Nathan from CGE last week, and we talked a fair bit about Galaxy Trucker, and he knows the name of that three-play mode thing, so you can just Yeah, go back and listen to the interview. Listen to last week's. Yeah. And uh, you'll be all set with that. But, you know, I mean, the Table Hog thing is great. 
but see, one of the problems with Galaxy Trucker, because it had all those bigger pieces and all that other stuff, it was a fairly expensive game for right. what you got. Yeah. And yeah. shrinking all this stuff down, it makes this, I think he said it was 30 30 or, 30 or 35 $35. Like, they really lowered the price yeah, quite yeah. a lot. Yeah, this is a game that, you know, actually is way more of a family-friendly game, even though they didn't really have to adjust the mechanics yep. all that much at all. So that's yep. really, really Yeah, cool. and the box size, I mean, it's now the size of a Carcassonne box right uh, yep. uh, the, the old carcassonne boxes so so not not super huge anymore no all right well i have one more game on my list because i forgot to put paperback on my list and this is a game that neither one of you have played although Corey, i suspect when i explain this to you you're going to want to play it and this is a game from scott corlander called bat flip i'm sorry did you say baseball i did ah. <laughs> i'm interested yeah so this is just imagine if you had a game with baseball mechanics but, like, foundational setup was Smash Up. All right. I'm yep. in. So there's, like, 10 or 12 of these various teams. Each team has some kind of, like, themed powers. Like, I had the juicers, you know, and you can, yeah, you can only imagine. Yeah. Uh, and then you pick two of them and you shuffle them together. And then you kind of play this baseball game. I'm going to say the logos for the various teams are are fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> the, the juicers are oranges. Oh, fantastic. Oh, yeah. oh, oh yeah. beautiful. Because obviously, the, oh, obviously that's the kind of juice we're talking yes. about. Totally. Clear. Um, I got destroyed by Asher. <laughs> it sounds like there's some balancing issues with the game. The rule book needs a little bit of help as well. This game, it's on Game Crafter, so it is available, but I think it's going to be going through a couple more iterations mm, before mm -hmm. this is something that, you know, really comes out. So I was talking with Scott a little bit on Twitter, and it turns out that some game developers broke the game at Unplugged in the Unpub room. So there's definitely some development going on there still, but it's it, it was... Let me put it like this. It was a lot better than our experiences with Bottom of the Ninth. Ah, yes. But it was not yes. as good as Baseball Highlights. Okay, okay. So it's it's in there. It's okay? in there. It's, it's, yep. it's a game that I don't dread bringing to right, the table right. like I did with Bottom of the Ninth. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so that's Bat Flip. So that was pretty fun. I got one last one to mention uh, since I'm digging back to the beginning of December. And that is Rift Force. Oh, yeah. So Rift Force also has elements of that, you know, smash up kind of feel. You actually draft your armies. I don't Ar know what armies you would call them. Word. Armies. Armies is a good word. And in Rift Force, each side gets four out of a possible ten. You're playing these across the table from each other, you know, lining up to attack each other, except each of your four styles has different special powers that they can use when they attack. So it's really cool to work through it. And this is a two-player only game. You know, you're playing across a rift and attacking each other. So Rift Force reminds me a lot of Fight for Olympus. Yes. In the sense that you're facing off yes. across a rift, like you said. And your positions, and you kind, they're your positions really and your matter. slots yeah. kind of work similarly to the way they do in Fight for Olympus. I really like that game. I really like Rift Force. I mean, it's a card-based dueling game. Yes. Right? So it kind of has some of those feelings like a CCG magic-y kind of thing. Um, or something like, again, Fight for Olympus. I think what Rift Force does the most, unlike other dueling games I've seen, is the way you activate your cards to attack. When you play cards from your hand, you can either play a couple of cards out to the attack row, or you can play a card from your hand and then up to three cards that match that number or up to three cards that match that suit. Those can attack from your row. And so it's that push-pull of like, well, I want to put this out, but if I put it out, then I'm not sure I have anything I can use to activate. And I have this thing that I can use to activate, but there's not enough, you know, that I can do yet. So it's the back and forth with that. 
All right, so that is what we have been playing. We've actually been playing some more stuff, but it's during PAX Unplugged, and that's the topic, sure. so we're going to sure. talk about that there. So why don't we welcome our new community members now? Yes. And then after that, we're going to take a break. You are going to hear all about Canopy, which is a game that we mentioned during our what we've been playing. And, uh, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about PAX Unplugged. All right, so let's welcome our new community members. I'm going to start right at the top, and I'm going to welcome Nick to the Family Gamers community. Welcome to Lori. Welcome, Brian. Welcome to Heather. Welcome to King's Recorder. Welcome to Daniel. Welcome, Jeremiah. Welcome to Richard and to Mary. I got to meet Richard at PAX Unplugged. Yes, you did. Yeah, well, I shared this. He's a the selfie. husband. He's the husband. <laughs> so if anybody's wondering, go back, look at the socials. The husband is Richard. Thank you so much to everybody for joining the Family Gamers community. We hope that you find it an encouraging place where you can get lots of good information. Lots of people are sharing stuff in the community. Don't worry, we moderate it so there's nothing inappropriate in there. It's a good time, and we're over 500 members in the community yeah, now. Wow. This is cool. awesome. Super, super great. All right, so let's take a break, and when we come back, PAX you. PAX you. We'll be right back. Anitra, I have a fact. Okay. Did you know that tropical rainforests hold roughly half the world's plant and animal species? I did. We can learn a little bit more about these wonders of nature with a new game, Canopy. This is a snap review for Canopy. Canopy is a two-player drafting and set collection game. It was designed by Tim Eisner and is published by Weird City Games. It takes about 30 minutes to play, and it's best for ages 8 and up. Well, Anitra, we can see this beautiful artwork. Let's talk about the art in this game. It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Vincent Dutrait has created these lush illustrations that bring the plants and animals of the rainforest right onto your table. All of the iconography relates directly to the theme. It's also clear that the theme, which is the thriving rainforest, influenced not just the art in this game, but even the packaging in this game. They used cardboard slash paper card bands, and even paper envelopes instead of plastic. The box is a perfect size, too. It's big enough to fit everything easily, but without any wasted space that would use more energy to make and transport. It's obvious they thought about all of these things when making this game. Let's talk about how to actually play Canopy. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the mechanics. <laughs> Canopy starts with three more or less equal decks representing seasons and three piles for drafting. These are called new growth, one, two, and three. So on your turn, you take a look at the first new growth pile and then decide to either keep it or pass it to the next pile. If you pass, make the same decision for the next pile. Every time you pass on a pile, add a card to it from the current season deck face down. If you pass on all three piles, take a card from the top of the deck and add it to your forest. All the various cards play different roles in your forest. Trunks can be stacked together and then combined with canopy cards to make tall rainforest trees. Plants group together in sets and score at the end of the round. So did the sun and the rain card. Then there are seeds. They give you a random draw at the end of the round from the seed deck. The seed deck. Which is packed with even more plants and tree parts. Now some animals have powers that you can use to help you. Lastly, there are threats. Some, like drought and lightning, make you discard cards immediately when you draw them. Others, like fire and disease, only take effect at the end of the round. 
They'll always make you do some discarding, but if you gather enough of them, you can force your opponent to discard some cards too. When the season runs out of cards, calculate your scores for the round from plants, weather, and newly finished trees. Apply seed cards and animal effects and take your appropriate point tokens. Then discard all your plants, all your weather, all your threats, and your seeds. You only keep your trees and your animals. Then you get to start the next season. At the end of the game, you'll score normally, but then you'll also add point tokens for your animals. Finally. Finally. The player with the largest forest will get a big bonus, too. That's how you play. Let's talk about what we expected from Canopy. Well, I like the small box. I always talk about how I care (laughs) that the box size fits the game. And I like the idea of a game that's best at two players, but... Mostly I had a lot of questions, like, how do you make a game out of having the best rainforest? Or how do you differentiate a game like that? How do you draft cards with only two players? I would played some games that seemed to figure this out, but Canopy definitely did it differently. And that leads into our surprises. Yeah, this peak or pass drafting mechanism, it seemed immediately familiar, but I can't think of any other games that actually do this. We brainstormed, we have no idea. It makes a ton of sense for a two-player game, and it really adds to the tension since you know what you're potentially giving up to your opponent. Is it worth taking that single card, or should you try for that bigger stack, hoping the card you pass on will still be there on your next turn? And I really like the metaphor here. Those cards that you put down after you've looked and decided to pass, they're called new growth, right? That's what we're aiming for. We're letting the rainforest plants and animals grow. Keeping score with tokens rather than a score sheet felt kind of odd, especially in a round-based game. But there's no paper waste with this. Right. I guess it makes it more sustainable. So you always play solo games. What did you think of the solo mode? The solo mode was fine. Uh, You play against an automated opponent who has a defined pattern of taking cards from the new growth piles. It made me super careful about what I passed in the growth piles because I knew for sure it would go to my opponent. So the interesting thing is that this game lists itself as a two-player game, but it includes variants for three and four players, and we actually liked the three-player variant more. You share a new growth pile with the players on either side of you, and the third and final new growth pile for you is in the middle, shared amongst all the players. It felt like the decisions were way more interesting here, knowing which of your opponents has access to each of your new growth piles. There were times when my opponent on one side really wanted a card that was in the pile on the other side, and I knew they would never get it, so I was okay with leaving it for a later round. With more players, you play over only two seasons, so it's still just as quick as the two-player game. And, of course, we liked that there was kind of an educational flavor to every single card. The more we played Canopy, the more we noticed how every card choice fit perfectly into the Rainforest theme. So, Anitra, do we recommend Canopy? Do we recommend this game? I think if you're invested in the future of our Rainforest, or just looking for an unusual two-player game, Canopy's a really good choice. Everything about it was designed with sustainability in mind. And Weird City Games promises to plant a tree for each copy that's ordered. How can you argue with that? I know, right? Canopy is a great choice for game schooling. Kids will learn some facts directly from the game. And like I said, it should stimulate interest to find out more about these amazing natural resources. So, Andrew... What do you think we should rate Canopy from Weird City Games? Well, with this gorgeous art, with all of the thought that went into this, with the cool, unique mechanics and all the different player counts, I think we're going to give Canopy four and a half out of five tall trees. And that's Canopy in in a a snap. snap. And we're back. Oh, yeah. All right. So we had like nine appointments. 
at PAX Unplugged, where we actually schedule time to go and talk to publishers like responsible professional human beings. Uh, you're totally responsible professional human beings. Not when there's no kids around. Who are middle-aged. Sure. Bum, bum, bum. No! Do we talk? Do we get I'd- to talk about the butcher bar? Oh yes, please. We should definitely talk about the right. trough. That the was trough. that was the most irresponsible thing we did all weekend. Yeah, that's sure, true. Yeah. But that's at the end of Friday. So let's yeah, start yeah. start with the beginning of Friday. We opened up the convention going to Pandasaurus. Oh, the crazy thing about being at Pandasaurus on the very first appointment was that it was where we saw the game that I am the most excited to play. <laughs> But we didn't get to play it yet because it was still just right. in prototype there was form. One copy of it, and we did talk a little bit with Danny uh, during the interview. So, right. so you've probably heard a little bit about this game, Skull Canyon Ski Fest. And I think it's funny that it's the game that you're the most excited to play because you couldn't say the name right for like a <laughs> weekend. I kept saying like ski fall, ski fall, <laughs> skull fest, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, yeah. so I mean the game. Art style-wise, it doesn't, like, when you hear Skull Canyon Ski Fest, you're like, death, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have an art style like that at all. No. No, the art style, as soon as you look at the board, it looks like the classic ski resort map with just happy, bright colors. Welcome to our ski resort. Here's the brightly colored trails tracing down through Mm -hmm. the, you know, the the red, blue, green lines tracing down the the slopes. I mean, it almost made me think like almost like Days of Wonder in the style of a lot of their games. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I can see that kind of thing um but i'm really intrigued by this whole ticket to ride goes into tokaido thing and there's kind of set collection stuff and that you can overtake each other on the routes which danny talked about right exactly and the fact that you can get rid of all that stuff and play a more simple game is awesome yeah yeah the other thing and this is just basically a shout out to pandasaurus we were there at the beginning of the whole convention, and then we were there at the end of the convention, and there was a lot more room in the booth. <laughs> yes. Because they sold a lot of games. Yeah. Okay. We were hoping to take home with us a copy of uh, That Time You Killed Me, but right. they were completely out. They were completely well, sold good out. For them. Yeah. yeah. So you want to talk about that game a little bit? Yeah, because that is another one that I'm really excited to bring home someday and play. Uh, that time you killed me, you know, I, in the interview we talked about it, it's, you know, inspired by 3D chess, but there's this series of three boards that are supposed to represent past, present, and future. And what's just really intriguing, exciting about it is that as things that you do to a, on the board in past will then you have to do, you know, something in the present and future board, or if you only do it in the present, then something has to also happen in the future board okay. as a result of the fact of what you've done. So basically the way it was explained to us actually multiple times because we were just kind of fawning over it a second and third time and some <laughs> other people would come up and re-explain the game to us, yeah. which is fine, yeah. um, was that there's all these modules that you don't necessarily have to play with if you don't want to, but originally they, it was all part of the game. And they found that game testers' brains would just explode. Yeah, it was too. It was too much. Too much. That time you killed my brain. Yeah, Yeah. right. Exactly. So there's like four or five different modules that you may or may not add to the game depending on what you want to do. Yeah. The first module is trees, and trees are cool because there's three kind of versions of them. There's seeds, there's bushes, and then there's trees. So if you plant a seed in the past, you immediately place a bush in the present and a tree in the future. Okay. Or if you plant, you know, a seed in the present you put a bush a in the bush future, in the future. That kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. so there's always this concept of cause and effect going on mm-hmm. if you go back right if you go forward butterfly effect doesn't go backwards it only goes forward right? right so if you do something in the future it doesn't affect the past but if you do it in the past it affects the future yeah. right which is a really kind of cool idea yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah the general goal of the game is pretty much the same as shobu 
Yeah. Right. And this game, obviously, for people who have played Shobu, you're going to look at this and you're going to be like, there's, you know, some similarities there. They definitely play differently, but your goal is to kill off your enemy on basically all no two board. out of two, yeah two out of three boards yeah, 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 if, yeah. if you eliminate them from two out of three boards but you can eliminate yourself you know if you time travel from past to present say for example like you can leave behind well you abandon the one board potentially depending on how you do mm. the move and so they were saying that even when they were play testing or having folks play it there in the booth that there were a bunch of people beginners who were just like oh I'm gonna go kill that guy up in the future board and like they left the past board completely empty and basically just gave the win away (laughs) yeah so it's definitely one of the like it's an abstract game like there's no heavy theme here like the conceit is that one of you is playing as the scientist who has created a time machine and the other one is trying to murder the scientist and take the invention for his own yeah sure that's the conceit but it's an abstract game yeah so yeah it's really really cool it's doing extremely well if you check social everyone's like man this game is super deep very very interesting really neat mechanics yeah and but it's it's, it's cool. got a whimsical touch to it too, too, though, because one of the other modules, I think it was module three after the trees, was trained elephants, and uh, the trained elephants wear little bowler hats <laughs> to indicate to trained. indicate who's they're trained, you know, who they've been trained by, and which which player <laughs> they're, they're currently serving. They're very and, cute. I mean, you're basically training the elephant to murder your opponent, so it's. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, All right. So you can create copies of yourself by leaving the present and going into the past, and that creates a copy of yourself in the present and stuff like that. So there's a lot of really interesting things going on with that game. A lot of like really heady strategy stuff going yeah. on there. Yeah. I think you can play this at a younger age level. I think you could probably go down to like ten. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that you know you have to kind of keep your head wrapped around. So this is a good kind of cognitive development sort of experience, I guess, yeah. in that way. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so that is That Time You Killed Me from Panzers. After that, we went to, like, a, a publisher that I fawn over frequently, which is Thunderworks Games. You may have heard of them. No. <laughs> we had Tim Vernick on the show maybe a month and a half, two months ago, a something like that. Ago. We yeah. talked about a lot of their titles. They were selling a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And Good. we came into the booth, and they were just so busy. We just were like, you know what? Can we just sit down and play some Cape May? So we did, we got a chance to sit down and we got a chance to play some Cape May, which is a lovely, wonderful, peaceful game. Very chill. Yes. Very chill. Very good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, which, you know, I mean, I I think if you look at the art and you kind of think about Cape May, New Jersey and kind of the whole point of being able to go to like a, like a beachside town. Sure. That's got these kind of old Victorian. To relax. And and, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're walking around with your parasol if you're a girl. Right. Or a boy, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's set in Victorian era, so mm-hmm. the the art and the meeples and everything are all, you know, Mary Poppins. Yep, uh, yep. Or Edwardian, I guess, sorry, not yep. Victorian, but, mm-hmm. yeah. So in this game, you have some kind of asymmetric goals in your hand. Uh, you can almost think like the goals in a game like Takenoko, where it's like you have to get certain tiles in a certain orientation, you have to have bamboo in certain places, and your panda has to have certain whatever. For... Cape May, it'll be things like have the most buildings in this area, build at least five residential sections in this part of the board, you know, or, or build like build the same kind of Victorian mansion in three different regions, yeah. and yeah, it's all sorts of stuff like that. So, so that's part of the game, and then there's this whole idea of building up the buildings that you're in control of to gain money to then have to turn around and, and build other stuff. So there's a little bit of like a kind yeah. of an engine builder kind of thing yeah. going on in there. 
Then there's this whole set collection thing with birds. The, right. The bird watching, yeah, we didn't yeah. we didn't play it long enough to really understand the bird watching part. But the the thing that I found really interesting about it is that it requires you to travel around the town of Cape mm-hmm. May. So you can't just say like, oh, I'm building on you know the beach now on this turn. I have to first actually travel to the beach and to travel there you're constantly holding a deck of cards that's like one through seven i think something like that and you play your seven and then off you go but once you've played the seven uh well now you don't have the seven anymore until you there's a there's a action you can take on your turn which is to pick up your deck and reshuffle it's kind of like a century kind of thing yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, you know where you i don't even think it's really a deck it's just a hand of cards yeah it really is just the hand of seven Uh, and the thing about it is you have to be orthogonally adjacent to a place where you want to build unless you have a special card that lets you do something else Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the numbers in the middle like three four and five they're free to play, but the numbers on the end, like one and seven, you might have to pay a coin to be able to play those oh, those sh- really, really short ones or really, really long ones. Because you really need them to line up or you really need them exactly. to zoom over to the other side exactly. of the board. Exactly. Sure. And I suspect that that was probably one of the balancing things that yeah. I put in this game. But, you know, we played it and we said, all right, this is not really a game to play with kids. Not that kids couldn't handle it, but that just they're not going to be interested in the theme. And there isn't anything about the mechanics that's just going to be like, whoa, this is totally amazing. We have to do this. You know, this is a game for adults to play as a kind of a casual game where the really the only significant interaction between players is just blocking off someone else from being able to right, build something you, in a certain place. Because you can't have two people on the same space. And once someone builds there, you can't you- have two people in the same space. But you cannot build in. in oh, you can't build in the same space. Right, yeah, right, right. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, where they've already so, been. Lovely game. Very nice, high production quality, not really a family game. Sure. So that was Cape May. We saw all the other stuff, cartographers, cartographers, heroes, role-player adventures was selling like crazy while we were there. But that was pretty much it for Thunderworks. That is a lot of game. Yeah. Sure. And the next thing we went to was Plaid Hat. Now, Plaid Hat is known pretty much exclusively at this point for their... Big story games, right? So yeah, Plat Hat much. had done Mice and Mystics. They did stuff, Fables, Tail Feathers, all those games. Rich narrative titles with all this really interesting stuff in there. And their next one is, in that regard, no different. And it's a game called Familiar Tales. Okay. So Familiar Tales is interesting because it takes place across three periods of time. Yeah, three eras, they called them. Yeah. So you start the game uh, and you end up with this baby. The baby is the princess of the land. And okay. over the course of the game, the, the baby grows up into a young girl and then into a young woman. Yeah. And depending on how you treat her or how you, you know, coddle your baby, she will act very differently as the game goes on. Yeah. Her personality okay. changes. So we were playing the game with Jerry Hawthorne, the designer, and he was telling us that, you know, as the uh, as she ages, um, she's always a non-player character. The the baby the, the becomes the young woman. Uh, but she develops certain abilities and uh, powers that she can be either a help to you or maybe kind of a hindrance um, because she can turn into something of an emo teenager if you don't treat her well <laughs> when she's younger. Right. You mean most teenagers don't do that? Uh, yeah. yeah, well... Not all of but them, this is I a guess. magical princess emo fair, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's Either a lot or. of similarities here. The game is in like a binded book, so you open it up and you're you know playing with your characters on there, and all the characters have asymmetric player powers. This is all stuff you've heard before. The game has a companion app which is fully voice acted, 
with some people that you may have heard of. That's cool. If you look up the credits for the voice acting. And uh, and that part's really nice because you can just kind of like put it down and like sit back and just listen to the story. And it's it's nice to have those breaks built into a game. It's very well done, very professional sounding. It's just like a radio drama. Yeah. I mean, it's trying to be a kid-level deck-building RPG, and there's so much going on, though, that we found it a little bit hard to mentally track as we were playing. Uh, there's four different characters, right? And and like you said, asymmetrical in terms of their powers and their abilities. You know, there's the big giant brute guy who's a tree, and then I was playing as the, the firefly fairy yep. who... There's like a fox, um, and then there's someone else. So... Yeah. I mean, this is a game where you're you're playing a Disney movie, but you're playing as the animal sidekicks, not the princess. Right. Right. That's what's happening You're here. playing as the familiars? Yes. Well, yes. But they're not familiars. I mean, uh, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I get what you're, I get where you're going. I like, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I like it, but that's, it's but, not really but technically. It's more yeah. like animal sidekick, like Disney princess. Actually, a familiar is only a familiar if it's representing a wizard. And so therefore, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... I really liked what I saw, but we talked about it afterwards, and there's some concern here that if your family is not immediately, like, engaged in that game, like, it's 20-plus hours of content here um, Mm. with a fairly complex, you know, role-playing system. You know, it's not a role-playing game, right? You've got everything in front of you, and it's it's definitely more simple than, you know, when when you present, like, an actual role-playing game, but it's fairly complex. I mean, this is... 20 to 25 hours of, of content across yep. 40 to 50 missions. Right. Uh, you know, each page of the storybook sort of constitutes a mission. And, you know, he told us that that's sort of a save point, right? You, each time you finish one page, you could say at that point, like, okay, let's stop here. We'll pick up the game again next time. But in each one's maybe about a half an hour-ish. And it, that's how long it took us to play the first one, I think, was, was about, just about a half an hour. And the story was interesting on the first one. Um, but I really feel like I need it to pick up substantially over the next few missions to get my kids hooked on it to sure. the point where they're going to let me keep bringing it to the table maybe 40 times right. in order to finish this game. Sure. Sure. You know, and I think that our experiences with Mice and Mystics where like we love it when we play it, except for the first 40 minutes when we're trying to remember all the stuff to mechanically get through the game. And then once we get there, yeah. we're like, all right. And so that second 40 minutes is great. But then we... It's, it's hard to get it back to the table again. And then we kind of run through this cycle over and over and over again. And I don't think it'll be as bad with something like Familiar Tales, but I can definitely see some of that coming into play again. So cautiously optimistic, but a little bit concerned about whether or not at a family level, you know, these are the kinds of games where people say, oh, well, can I play this with my six-year-old? Probably, Probably not. not. Yeah. You know sure. what I mean? So, so that is Plat Hat and Familiar Tales. And then we went to Funko Games, where we really... Really, really wanted to play this game. Yeah, yeah. We we saw the demonstration of the legacy of Isla Nubar, which is set in the Jurassic Park universe. Yeah. So Jurassic World Legacy. Jurassic World Legacy game. It's uh mm-hmm, it's spanning mm-hmm. five out of the six movies. They let us know that they could have included the sixth movie, but then they would have spoiled stuff and they didn't want to have right. to worry about spoilers or whatnot. But right. they did work very closely with uh Amblin Entertainment, which is the owner of the IP. Like, really to flesh out the universe. I think it's safe to say that they're trying to consider that all the story that they're adding uh, in this board game is canon to the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World In in as much as it it can be. Yeah, right. So this is a game that has 12 scenarios. I mean, this is a big 
game. I'm not, I don't want to, you know... Could you play with a family? Maybe. But you're, this is a game that's coming to Kickstarter in March. It's going to be $120 plus shipping. So you're looking at $150. It's a significant investment. There is a ton in this game, however. It's like, huge. There's, there's, it's huge. Um, the minis look amazing. The art looks fantastic. It's all styled after these, like... Uh, the pulp 40s, comics. 50s action comics, pulp comics. The um, the first scenario that you play is Hammond's dream of a dinosaur park. Yeah. So it's actually before the first Jurassic Park movie. Okay. And you kind of play out... It, it, it's a legacy game, so stuff's going to change. But the tutorial mission is designed to not change anything so that you can play it over and over and over again if you want to, to really get a feel for how this game works. Yep. I really wish we could have played that tutorial mission. Yeah, me too. Oh, I wanted to play it they, so they, badly. They talked us through it, but we didn't actually get to play it. Each scenario is in another sort of like file brief envelope, and I my understanding is each one of those is going to contain another pulp comic book mm. inside of it that is yet more rules mm. and story. Uh, that like go a legacy along. game. Yeah, like a legacy <laughs> game. For those of you who played uh, Back to the Future by Funko Games as well, they also used that same conceit with the rule book where yep. they made it into the the outer space comic from the movie. Yep. Um, and so it's the that same art style. It really looks like Funko's hitting a home run here when it comes to having the aesthetic and the feel of the game match the movie. So the folks who are real big fans of Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, I think they're going to love this game. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it's it's going to be an investment and it's going to be interesting to see. Well, and I really think that if you're not, like, really, really, like, I've seen one, two, and three, I think, yeah. of the movies, right? So I guarantee you, I know 100% that a lot of references would be lost on me. Mm. I guess you're not going to get disappointed by that. You're just not going to get them. Right. So, you know, the idea of some kind of really, like, expensive fancy food being wasted on someone without a refined palate, right? Like... I think that there might be some of that here. Like, I, do I want to make a $150 investment in a game like this? Probably not for me, and it's not a commentary on the quality of the game. It's that I know that I'm not going to be sucking the marrow out of this game. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So I'm not sure about it, but I, I have no doubt this game is going to be a home run for all, for all the people that really, truly love the Jurassic World, Jurassic Park universe, yeah. which mm. is a lot of there people. There are a lot of people. Right? Yeah, yeah. a lot of people. So that's that. The next interview we had was with a little alphabetical game company called XYZ Game Studios. Woo! Ooh, and XYZ. They, yeah, XYZ. And they had uh, two things I think they were featuring most primarily while we were there. Uh, Arch Ravels. Mm -hmm. and which we actually played. Which we so actually played. We played. Oh, yep. nice. Yes, we did. And Bigfoot, which is coming soon. Yeah. So Arch Ravels, it's a wonderful little fabric arts game where you yeah. are shopping for yarn you're creating items you're fulfilling orders mm -hmm. and that's kind of the cycle and yep. everybody's got a slightly different asymmetric power they did a lot of really neat kind of diversity stuff with it which yeah. is just just wonderful yeah. so i saw a demo of that all the way back at origins 2019 um which was right after it came off kickstarter or right before it went on kickstarter. i think that One back then two. they called it arch ravelry uh, they had just changed the name yeah, at that point. Yeah, yeah. So we heard the whole story of why it's not called Arch Ravelry anymore. The answer is because the Ravelry website got real mad. Yes, they yeah, did. Yeah, yes, yeah. they did. Uh, <laughs> um, but I want you to talk about Bigfoot Roll and Smash because I, I came back to take a video of it. That was when I met, by the way, the husband. Ah, yes. So <laughs> Yes. Like yeah. the Bigfoot game. Yes. yes. So, so Bigfoot. Talk about this. Bigfoot, it's 
robot turtles, but with monster trucks. Okay, so it okay. is the 80s Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Come down to the stadium and control either Bigfoot or uh, Snakebite or all those. I've, I can't even remember all those crazy names that they Grave. had. Grave Digger. Yes, thank you. Grave Digger. <laughs> oh, um, and Miss Bigfoot is in this game oh as well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes, yeah. Does she I'm have sold. a bow? Yeah. Sold. Like, like Miss Pac-Man? <laughs> and um, so it's path planning. Right. Um, after you at the beginning of the game, actually, what first happens is it's a nice, large, big plastic tray of a board um, and uh, with uh, little little risers all sprinkled throughout. So just sort of keep the various little uh, cardboard tiles that you're going to lay out just in place, locked in. And that's important because you're going to actually drive the little monster car trucks over them. So they kind of needed to lock mm. them in into their grid. But uh, so you start out by sort of drafting these obstacles and then placing them around the arena. Okay. And then once, and that is the self randomizing aspect of the game. And then once you've placed them, now it's time for you to drive your guy through your truck. And then your opponent also tries to drive their truck and you have to do the entire path planning before you go. Right. So um, just like kind of a robot turtle sort of thing, you arrange your deck so that you go, all right, we're going to go three spaces forward. Then we're going to take a right turn. Then we're going to go two spaces and then we're going to take another. Then we're going to do maybe okay. like a 180. Right. Um, and then you can do 360s and all this other kind of stuff. Right. Just, are there style points? There are style points. Excellent. Yes, yes. The three doing a 360 gets you a style point, even if it doesn't actually do anything else for you. So fantastic. But I did see the video you took. So where do the big like. Bigfoot tire. Ah, dice yes. So talk about the tire. Yeah, so, Where yeah. does that come in? Right. Yeah. So there's there are four dice in this game, and they are rather than cube dice, they are giant Bigfoot tires, and they are they are big. They're they're big, and they're to scale. Yeah, they are which too is amazing. Yes, they they actually did the aspect ratio perfect for the authentic Bigfoot monster truck tires. So the width to the height and all that other oh, stuff. Oh wow! Nice. Yeah, yeah. So you roll the dice, literally, and in this case, you roll the tires across, um, and they just each, you know, each side of it uh, gives you either pluses, minuses, and, you know, the number. And the number is, so the thing is about the path planning is that it, there's a cost associated with each part of the path that you're going to do. Okay. And so higher rolls will allow you to spend more points, right, on your path. Oh, okay. So, um, and then the pluses and minuses sort of either, if you get a plus, that lets you draw a little bonus card, which might give you a little power. Like, for example, there was one where it would let you launch into the air even without having driven over a ramp that you had placed on the board. Mm -hmm. So if there was a trick that you were trying to do that you needed to be airborne for, well, you could say, oh, at this part in my path, I'm going to just, I'm playing my launch card, right? And so now I'm airborne. And then there's some minuses. That allows the your opponent to put out obstacles, oil slicks, right? Things, stuff like that, uh, that are going to mess you mess your path up, right? Um, and stop you from being able to do stuff. But you've laid out, you know, cars, planes, obstacles to drive, you know, oil cans to drive through, you know, swerve around and everything. And it's the, the style points are either, did you jump up and smash on it? Did you weave through it? Did you spin around it? Right? All those different things sure, give you different sure. kinds of amounts of points. And so you go, your opponent goes, and whoever devised the best path uh, is going to score the most points and they're going to win. Cool. I, I don't know how they're gonna i mean are they going to kickstarter with this thing like what's what's the plan do you know uh i'm looking through my notes here i don't 
know if we talked about it. I think it was just that it's getting pre-ordered. Okay. Yeah. I remember we talked about, you know, what they were hoping the price point was going to be at. I don't know if that was on or off the record, so I don't want to talk about yeah. it. But I'm really intrigued by what we saw there. I do kind of wonder, like, did Robot Turtles have staying power in your house? No. Yeah. I, I, I thought it would. Right. And we got it. And then it was like, I, I could do a couple of missions and then it was it was just too much work yep. to set it up so yep. mm-hmm. hopefully this gamifies it a little bit better yeah yeah the the uh, the guy who was doing the demo for me he he described it as hiding the vegetables when in te- <laughs> kinds of teaching of programming yeah, yeah, right yeah. like the kids don't know they're learning programming but they're learning programming right, right, right. um uh, so you know it, it might have that for it, but i'll tell you even just playing it there in the uh, on the show floor right it was a lot for me as a grown adult to mm-hmm. think out my whole path without actually doing my path, right? right? So I think when sure, I play sure. with little kids, I'm probably going to let them do their path just one step at a time um, and, you know, let them advance through the arena because it's going to be too much for them to try to figure it all out in advance. Uh, and that was pretty much it for the first day. I mean, lots of stuff that we did, but that was only one day of uh, of PAX Unplugged. You got uh, baptized by fire. Yeah. No, well, I said <laughs> baptized by immersion because <laughs> so, baptized by fire would make it sound like it was really painful or that I didn't enjoy myself. But rather, it was an ex- it was a crazy experience because I, you know, I write for the site. I talk to you guys plenty. And there's something of, you know, a lingo, a vocabulary to the board game world, right, in the board game community. And I hear about all the different publishers, but I don't see them all in one place, right? So you and get now dro- you do. You get dropped into <laughs> PaxU, and now you see all the different game mechanics all at the same time, right? And you, yeah. And the, your ability to compare and contrast art styles, design choices. Like you said, you know, that there are the fact that there are some publishers who are becoming more famous for certain genres or certain mechanics, right? Like that's on full display when you go to a thing like Paxio. Uh so it was a a intense but awesome experience. So. <laughs> I don't think you've ever seen me hug that many people. No, you, it is. Yeah, you're a big hugger. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A hundred bear hugger. No, um, <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so uh, after we did the whole show floor thing, uh, we did the math trade. I got some stuff. That was a whole experience, yeah, too. Yeah. That's how we got paperback, right? That is how we got paperback. Corey made fun of me because I had a cardboard sign. He called me a hobo. Yeah. It was a good time. Um, <laughs> but we talked about two years ago that, that a cardboard sign was the right way to go. I, oh, it absolutely train. was. Yeah. But, you know, just watching Andrew just slowly pacing around the floor <laughs> holding the sign. He still looks so forlorn and pathetic. Please, <laughs> please. Uh, if I can't remember the guy's username, but please. There was one guy we were still waiting for. Like, yeah, just yeah. took a little extra time to arrive. he was the guy who planned the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But Fantastic. That's all right. I don't want to. I don't want to yeah. name and shame Mark no. Posada. But um, <laughs> anyway, so after that, the reason why we really wanted to get that done, yeah, was because we were going to this place in Philly called the Butcher Bar. Yeah, shout out. Whew. So at the Butcher Bar, we had thirteen people that we all put in for this thing called the trough. The trough. <laughs> this was a four foot long, eighteen inch wide board filled. With fries and ribs and chopped sausage and like uh, big barbecue Mac's cut chicken, in half, yeah, Big Mac chicken. Cut, the Big Macs cut in half were just the garnish around the outside. <laughs> That's the crazy part. And, and and there's don't forget the layer of pita bread on the bottom oh, right, just to right, absorb all the, the fat the juices. Pita okay. The yeah. pita bread was delicious. Oh yeah, well after oh, all that, I mean, oh my gosh, was it good? It was not cheap. No, 
It was about $45 a person. We didn't, yeah. And we didn't finish it. <laughs> no. 13 we, people, we could not finish the we thing. We brought four boxes home. Yeah. Wow. It <laughs> we was actually, a, technically, we got a trough and a half. Yeah. Uh, but the... I mean, that was the recommended amount for right. 13 people, right. supposedly. The total was $45 but, a person for a trough and a half. Yeah. But whatever. That was incredible. It was an incredible amount of food. I highly recommend the Butcher Bar for this. You go in, it looks like this little tiny place, but it's like one of these places where you weave through and there's like all these different little rooms. It's very deep. It just yes. keeps going back and back and back. Yeah. Uh, tremendous, tremendous food. Tr- great experience. Lots of cool people that we get to meet and hang out with um, at that thing. And then we went home and, you know, or to the Airbnb and and just almost died. I I mean, ironically, I was sitting, of the people who came with us, the one to my left was a retired physician. That was Ken Franklin? Yeah, Ken Franklin. Okay, yeah. And then uh, straight across from me is a currently practicing physician. (laughs) And I was constantly checking with them if I, you know, was how bad was my cholesterol going up (laughs) as we were eating this meal? Did I need to make any kind of special appointments afterwards? And they both just said, hey, we're off the clock. So, (laughs) yeah. Well, Ken was like, hey, listen, my license is expired. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was a blast. Then we got to hang out with Ken in the morning and look at some unfinished uh, slash not yet announced Calliope games. Obviously, I can't talk about them, but I will say that I am excited for both of them. Yes, they, they were they, they were super fun. Yes. I am look forward to the time where we can talk about them publicly, especially the second one. This you showed me a little bit off the record. I did. They both they both look I really did. cool. I asked permission to show you off the record. Yeah. So we're just gonna leave it at yeah. The first one. Looks like a fun game. There's going to be some neat stuff. The second one has some unique and new and different stuff in it that I'm yeah. really, really excited for. Um, and hopefully that game will come out sometime next year. But now we're going to talk about the game that was probably the game that I enjoyed playing the most and I think will be possibly the biggest hit with our families. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Although if and when our travels shows up in any of our houses, I think that'll be a big hit uh, with certain members of the family. Yeah. But the game that, sure. that I'm really excited for is a game called Meeples and Monsters from yeah. AEG. Oh, yeah. Okay. Meeples and Monsters, uh, very quickly, is basically Lords of Waterdeep meets uh, Quacks of Quedlinburg style bag building. You start with a bunch of peasant meeples. Uh, they're all white meeples. You put them in your bag, and then you pull out four, put them in your tavern, and then everybody kind of takes their turn. You use your meeples to build other buildings or um, to acquire other colored meeples. Other colored meeples. You upgrade your meeples. You to upgrade the but meeples. But you're not upgrading your meeples. You're getting in addition to. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Because, oh, yeah. They're recruiting. The bag just, yes, yes, they're recruiting. You just keep, the bag just keeps getting yes. more By and more full. By the end of the game, you've got like 30 meeples uh, in your it's bag. It's a massive army yeah, of meeples. Okay. just like... No. But that's pretty much the game. And, you know, you can you can fight monsters. You yeah. can level your stuff up. You can get a whole bunch of quests, which are going to be things like defeat a monster with a warrior and a cleric or yeah. have five peasants by the end of the game or, you know, whatever. Okay. Most of the victory points come from defeating the monsters. Mm-hmm. Like you said, there's the bonus ones also that add a little bit other victory points. And you're all building towards there's this murderer's row of the most, like, the boss monsters, mm-hmm. right, at the very end. And eventually you get to the point where you've built up enough stuff where it's triggered that they have now arrived at the town and they're here to wreak attack, and, to wreak havoc, and now it's up to you and your your meeple army to stop them, right? And mm-hmm. they, of course, also have the most victory points for defeating. So. so one of the interesting things about this game is the end game in this game is triggered by hitting a certain point in the deck. And the deck that gets expended is the monsters in the game. But you don't have to fight monsters. So you really determine as players how long the game is going to be. Yeah. So if you're just okay. like pounding on monsters, pounding on monsters, pounding on monsters, the game's going to go faster than if you kind of turtle and just build up your forces. Right. 
because then you know you you haven't gone through the monsters and the, and the deck is still really big. So that part of it's really interesting. But I just think that my ten year old and your ten year old are going to crush it at this game. It's yeah. just going to be right up their alley. They're going to have a, a really fun time with that. That is coming out. It's already gone through Kickstarter. It's fulfilling sometime in early twenty twenty two. So that is meeples and monsters yeah. or monsters and no, meeples. Meeples and monsters. Meeples yeah. and monsters. And, and one more thing about that game that I think is great for kids is that there is a good chunk of where you can pre-plan your turn pretty far in advance. Some things might change on the board, like maybe you were planning on attacking a certain monster and then your opponent attacks them and kills and them, kill first. them first. Sure. But in terms of all the stuff like buildings and whatnot that you do in the middle, most of that is always available to you as a player when it becomes your turn. So th- there is quite a bit that you can think about and be ready for when it when your turn comes up. So I think that'll be really helpful for the younger kids to be able to get into this yep. game. And mm-hmm. they're going to get excited about building a meeple, a massive meeple yes. army. Right. So, sure. Yeah. Sure. This. I mean, it's a very light Euro, basically. It's got lots of wind paths and lots of things that you can do. I was kind of behind for a while. And then all of a sudden, all of the quests that I had amassed in my hand started triggering. And I just vaulted ahead of everybody else. Uh, it looked bleak for me for a while. Yeah. And then I crushed everyone. Yeah. So... I see. Yeah. So that was... Uh, it was that cool because that demonstrated an interesting yeah, path yeah, to victory. Yep, yeah, Yep, definitely, yep. definitely. Um, especially when you can get a lot of quests that kind of overlap with each other. Um, that's really powerful um, as well. Then we went to uh, Red and Terminal Market for launch, which was awesome. Um, and then we checked out Tidal Blades 2. Yes. So just like Tidal Blades, Tidal Blades 2 is absolutely gorgeous. This game is a little bit different. This is a tactical skirmish game, I guess. With a really interesting grid system for movement and attacks. It is completely different from Tidal Blades 1 mechanically. Uh, Visually, you're using the same characters Mm -hmm. that you used in the first game. But mechanically, it is a completely different game. This game is going to come to Kickstarter early next year. I think this game might be too complicated for kids. for Especially for younger kids. Like I think this is minimum 10+. plus. Yeah, it was... It was nearly a full-on role-playing game. Like the guy who was doing the demo for us, basically acting like our dungeon master through the mm. through the whole game. I kind of feel like he wasn't exactly necessary, but he sure made it go a lot better by having that non-player right. Well, mm-hmm. keeping so, things organized and running. Yeah. So we talked about Title Blades One when it came out, and there's just a lot in that game. There's just a lot of stuff. And then at the core, it's this, like, relatively simple worker placement dice upgrading thing. Like, the mechanics are are really pretty streamlined and straightforward for a game that has a lot of overhead in terms of setting it up and doing all this stuff. And I mean, we've talked about this a lot. Yeah, we have. I don't feel that way about Title Blades 2. I think in Title Blades 2, they did a much better job of matching the weight of the mechanics with the weight of all the other setup. Okay. Which I think it's sure. really good. Sure. Also, instead of having like a board with 17 pieces, like a game like Familiar Tales, you have a spiral bound notebook with the board in it. But the cool thing oh, about okay. Tidal Blades 2 is you actually have two spiral bound notebooks and you can put them together to make a full play field. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes mm-hmm. when something happens, you might flip the page on one, but keep the other one because just of the way the narrative is, everybody's going to be on one side. So maybe the right page has a bunch of information on it and a picture. And sure, then sure. something happens, and so you flip that, and now you don't need all that a information. A whole new area has a, a whole new area has has yeah has, been revealed, has, and yeah, exactly. that you can enter now, and yeah, another stuff happens. So there might be some play back and forth. I have no idea, but that we part did two of it was pages really worth. interesting. We did two pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's Title Blades two. 
that game is almost certainly going to hit Kickstarter as well. It's really not the kind of game that's designed for mass market. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I don't know anything about, you know, price point and any other stuff. I did see that it's the main box and then like the miniatures box. Yeah. yeah and it's, that's a separate box, yeah. which makes me think that maybe like, which is a sign. <laughs> well, that maybe that's how they're going to do the, the regular and the deluxe. Yeah. The deluxe yeah. has the miniatures box oh, or something. I mean, sure. Like I would, I would be much more up for this. if be like, you know what? We don't need the miniatures. Just give us the game. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Yeah, I have yeah. No idea. split up the like, shipping costs and. Well, I mean, so a lot of people complain that the first game was just this gigantic box, mm. and, and, and it so, is. Well, it is. What we have is the retail. That's the small one. I know. So, and it's still a big box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so we'll see. We'll see kind of more details around that. The, again, the mechanics I think fit kind of what's going on a little bit better in terms of complexity. So. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, next, we went to check Games Edition. So we already talked about Galaxy Trucker. Yes. The other game that we saw there was Under Falling Skies, which Asher has already taken out, and he's playing a bunch of it. Anitra, have you played it yet? I have not played it yet. I've I've <laughs> watched him a little bit. It definitely feels very... Space Invaders. Space Invaders. It's totally Space Invaders. Yeah. Um, meets Independence Day meets <laughs> XCOM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll get into that more. That's a game that we have for review. Uh, we're going to have a great time talking about that. And the last appointment that is worth talking about... Uh, is Cosmos. Oh, yeah. Cosmos was great. I got to teach a bunch of people how to play Adventures of Robin Hood. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> yep. 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 So we talked about a lot of things. We talked about the Anno game, which is just, I, I, my head is, I'm not there. It's a complicated, it, he said it, He said that early teens should be able to play. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a Martin Wallace game. Right. So it's going to have some complexity, but it should be consumable yes. for the, you know, the the mid-range Family gamer, right? We talked obviously about Adventures of Robin Hood, which was selling out basically everywhere. Yeah, we talked what about the exit games quite we talked a bit. About the exit games, what else did we talk about? Uh, well, we also talked about the Lost Cities uh, Roll and Write that's oh, coming yeah, up. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Tom said that it might be his favorite ever Roll and Write ever. Yeah. What? I know. I know. I know. I know. He said they were really focusing on keeping it simple. He talked about it being like start at Yahtzee and just add one level to it, and that's okay. Lost Cities Roll and Write. Okay. So. Cool. Um, it's meant to be super accessible, really easy to just pick up and play, a gateway game that you can just pull off your shelf for when you've got, you know, guests over. Nice. Give you just, just a little bit of a flavor of, you know, the Lost Cities uh, games, mm-hmm. if you've played right. any of those in the past. Right. So. so it'll have some familiarity with the IP, but otherwise, this is very much the, hey, your first one is free kind of <laughs> Sure, game. sure, so, sure. Yeah. So that's that. Also, we talked about some exit games. Yes. By the way, Anitra, do you, uh, do you remember me sending you that link? For uh, Instagram? Oh, that Instagram post. Yeah. Um, Take a look at that. Okay, this is in German, but... It is German. That looks like it might translate to Lord of the Rings? It does translate to Lord of the Rings. So they didn't have anything to show at uh, at PAX Unplugged about this, but... This tells me that Inca and Marcus Brand are still working on it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All I can say for sure at this time is that... There are German exit boxes using the Lord of the Rings IP. Yeah. Okay. And things often come out in German, Before and they then come they out come out in English. English. That's true. I am excited for what Cosmos is doing right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's going to be cool. So yeah, so that is going to be uh, that is going to be pretty awesome. And then I don't think it would be possible to to one up the butcher bar because it was amazing. But we did go to Monk's <laughs> uh, Beer Emporium for dinner. Yep. On uh, Saturday night, 
I ate some really spicy chicken wings. For science. Uh, yeah, for science. Uh, with Mark and Daniel, who you talked about that you uh, hung yes. out with at uh, QScon. I have breakfast with Mark and Daniel, apparently, and you have uh, beer and spicy wings with Mark and Daniel. I, Daniel is, is totally in on the spicy stuff. Mark is not. No, he's not. But Mark is in on the beer. Mark is in on the beer. Um, so yeah, so we, you know, we we went. It was a long walk, and um, I donated my credit card to the cause. Whereby donate, I mean, I left it there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was unfortunate. But and then you know what? We pretty much saved Sunday for just kind of hanging out and seeing people and catching up and and going back and checking on things that you know. Finding booths that were now empty of games. Yeah. Well, the convention yeah. etiquette is if you have an early meeting. You return on Sunday to see if there are, are titles remaining for review companies because right, right. we want people to sell their games. That's yes. why they're there. Yes. Uh, so yeah. so we got a chance to go around and talk to a lot yeah. of people. We spent a lot of time on Sunday at the uh, Weird Giraffes games. Yeah, booth. we did. You saw some stuff there that uh, you ended up taking home. Uh, yeah. Yeah. One that we brought home is Lost Kingdoms, which uh, looks really fun. It's a little bit of area control uh, set during the dinosaur era, Pangea and whatnot. And uh, so what's interesting about that game is that it builds in uh, continental drift into the game. And so okay. you might have secured an area with your dinosaur meeples uh, only to have all, all those tiles suddenly shift in one direction. And now you've merged with another landmass and suddenly you are no longer in control of that landmass. So um, I see. the meeples, though, the dinosaur meeples in this game, okay, they look Incredible. They are better than the Draftosaurus dinosaur meeples. Sure. Okay. They're amazing. Yeah. Very well, like, really detailed. Like, the cut on that is, uh, through those is amazing. Weird Giraffes has definitely been upping their meeple game lately. I have to say, when I was... I know. When I was putting together the final stuff for Big Easy Busking, I went and looked on their website again. I was like, oh man, the deluxe version has these custom meeples and every color, every player color has a different shape of meeple and they all tied in with the theme. It was real cool. So this game, Lost Kingdoms, is part of the loose, like, animal kingdoms. It sounded like uh, it. I was gonna ask. Deep kind of uh, intellectual property... You know, yeah. so it's a, technically it's a Galactic Raptor title. And of course, also on Sunday, we got to stop by and visit with Nora at GameRight. We did. I, they, I, we I, didn't have an appointment, so it's not on my thing. But uh, so, we did. Yeah, so now you have to finally tell me about Word Heist. Okay. Word Heist is a, a word game that kids can play. Yeah. More than that, please. <laughs> word Heist is a word game. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So, uh, Word Heist is a uh, word game in which you uh, set out uh, seven cards, I think it was. Some small number of cards. Not not a huge number. And each card has a different letter on it, right? Okay. Um, that set of letters is the same set that you're going to play with for the whole game. Which is really cool for playing with kids because it lets them just keep staring at those same letters and just start to formulate more and more words out of the letters, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the thing is, is that each round that you play, the cards get re- reshuffled and rearranged so such that there are always two, I think it was, that give you bonus score for using those oh, two okay. letters in your word. Mm-hmm. But the other trick is you can't reuse any words. So every time anyone writes a word down, that right, word... For any reason. For any reason, and we'll get to that in a second, that word goes onto the, the gallery board for words, and so now those ones can't get reused. You play over a series of rounds... And uh, there is both a component of where you yourself choose a word, 
And then you leave out some hints for your opponents. And they, by leaving out the hints, is putting one or more of your chips onto the different cards of letters that you used. So you don't have to give a hint for every letter that you use in your word. Sure. But you get points for the hints that you give unless someone guesses your word. Mm. So you, there's always this dynamic of I want to give as many hints as possible because I want to get points. But if I give too many hints, someone's going to guess my word. Yeah. So what you have, what you're, you have a little whiteboard and you're writing your word at the top and then you're putting these tokens out to give people clues about your stuff. Then once everybody's put their tokens out, you write down another word underneath it and you're trying to guess someone's word. You're yeah. not assigned a person's word to okay, try to guess. Just you can try a to guess word. Anybody's yeah. word. Yeah. Looking at the hints that got played sure, out sure, on the board. Sure, sure. Then everybody reveals. Both of the words that you have written down go into the gallery. Right. Okay. So, so even can't... if you didn't guess anybody's, that word that you put down Correct. is now goes in the gallery and defunct. now nobody can now use reserved it. and yep. 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 Huh. yep. So that's that part of it. Yeah. So players don't necessarily have to play long, complicated, fancy words in order to get lots of points in this game. Yeah. They could guess somebody's word and then they steal the points for that word. That's okay. how that works. Yeah. Uh, you can really focus on trying to play. Uh, words that have the letters that have the bonus points on them. Okay, yep, There's lots yep. of different ways that you can do this. And again, because those letters don't change, you might look at a word and say, oh, I like that word, but I'm going to save that word mm -hmm, because I mm -hmm. want one of those letters to be a little bit more important. Yeah. So you play sure, this across sure, sure. three rounds. Yeah. And that's kind of how the game works. Yeah. So much fun. It's going to be so accessible for kids to play. I mean, even early readers, I think. Because again, the words can be very short and you're still going to score. So I can play with my eight-year-old. She can just put down a whole bunch of three-letter words and still be competitive and, sure, in, and sure. into the game and enjoying it and trying to guess what dad might have come up with. And also, I mean, just to say again, but it's just part of the genius of this game is that with that constant set of letters and because they're getting reshuffled, when you relay them out, it's just helping your brain. It's helping the kids' yeah, brains yeah, to yeah. look and be like, oh, now, now you see, see a word you see a word you didn't see before, right? Yep. right? right, right. So yep. yeah, I will say, like, if you're playing this as an adult with some younger kids, like have a soul. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you can play a six-letter word and your eight-year-old is never gonna guess it. Like anti-disestablishmentarianism. <laughs> whatever, right? Because you can use this uh, the same letter multiple times yeah, sure. yeah. if the letter is available. So, you know, I mean, there is that part of it. So if you're like, no, grind them into a pulp and crush them and spit them out. Like, all right, fine, you're going to win at the game. But it's a lot more accessible than some other stuff, like Letter Jam, which right. we played at a meetup. Letter Jam okay. is a weird game from CGE that um, I just uh, didn't like. So. It was hard. It was a hard... It's, it's brutally it's, difficult. It's meant to be cooperative. It's, so it's got the Hanabi thing going where the card in front of you, you can't see, mm -hmm. and you're relying on your all the other players to help clue you in as to what your letter is. Sure. But you have to keep track of not just... like You actually have, what, was like five different letters, and you've got to keep track of... you got to wait to get enough clues that you're like, okay, I know what this letter is. Then you can put that card down, put up a new card... And hope mm. that then they got to help you find out that card. Meanwhile, you're trying to help them. It's such a pain. It, so okay. everybody everybody takes a certain number of cards. They make a word with those cards. They put that word face down and everybody passes their words to the right. Okay. And now you have a pile of cards and you don't know what the word is or what the letters are. Mm. And, and you put that face up facing everybody else. So, so if you're playing with five players, you see four letters. And so you see those four letters and you can say, okay, I can make a, you know, five-letter word that helps three people because it uses three okay, people's sure, sure, sure. letters. 
then you can't even say what that word is. You have to give hint out to the people. Well, well, I mean, it was it was no, it was it was coin chips that said what each. Yes, yeah, so you kind of spell it out, right? Kind of. So you're like, but I mean, okay. it only helps you if they put the chip in front of your letter, right? But it's you just, don't know what your letter is. It's just like right. it's too many layers of abstraction. Sure, yeah, sure. it's just too many. If it was one less. I don't know, maybe, but so that was Letter Jam. Not a huge fan of that one. Like, I would play it if somebody, you know, was like, I really want to play this game, but like, eh, I don't know if I can recommend that one. Okay. So, yeah, so we'll throw one more game not recommendation in there. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I really think that was about it. I, I guess the only other thing I want to mention is a game that I have been kind of coveting at a distance for a while, okay. uh, which is a game from Inside Up Studios, it's a game called Block and Key. I remember you talking about yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, so, we actually got to see. I don't know, a production prototype of it, I guess. Um, so this is a game where, so they've used the box to be the components of the game, kind of like an ice cool. And what's happening is there's some stuff on the, it's a two layer situation. So the bottom of the box is like the bottom and then the sides of the box are like pillars on the four corners and then there's the top. And what's happening is you've got all these different kind of block things that you draft from underneath and then you arrange them on top and so, depending on what angle you're looking at these three-dimensional, mm-hmm. like, Tetris shapes, basically, yeah. on top, you're seeing them in different ways, right? Okay. And so, you are trying to complete images, again, back to Takenoko Tile kind of thing. Sure, sure. Of what you want to see from your perspective. Okay. By placing these poly... Tetragons. Tetragons, or, whatever the, the, whatever the, the te- word would be. Tetrasoids, I think. Whatever. Some, po- yeah, yeah. Po- polyzoids, I don't know. <laughs> Metazoids, whatever they are. 3D 3D shapes. Tetris blocks, but with some three dimension to them. They... Um, and it just looks fantastic. And the, the, remember how heavy those blocks were? Yeah. They had a great weight. They were solid. They felt, they felt really good. So that was Block and Key from Inside Out Studios. They had some other stuff that we thought we might be interested in. Didn't fall in love with any of it, but that game had a great tactile feel to it. So Inside Up is the studio that did uh, Sea Change. Yes, they are. They had Gorus Maximus there and Sea Change there. So Sea Change is a game that we reviewed. They do a lot of very different stuff. Like yes. everything they do is different it's, from it's everything else It's kind of all over the yep. place, but yep. that's okay. Mm-hmm. So um, that was Pax Unplugged. We ate pickle subs. They were delicious. Oh, that was good. Yep. Yep. Many times we had crepes stuffed with Nutella and banana. They were good. Highly recommended. Yep. Everything at Reading Terminal Market. Was it, okay, was it banana pudding that you had? Yes. Oh, yeah. Nina's banana pudding stand. If you ever managed to go to Reading Terminal Market, strong, strong endorsement. It was, she had a little tiny stand in the marketplace. Everything was banana pudding, but then it was just various other pie-filling fruits that were incorporated into the banana pudding. So I wow. had the... I had the peach one. I ordered the peach one kind of hesitantly, and she goes, oh, no, you're going to love the peach one. And I said, are you sure? She's like, you're going to love the peach one. <laughs> and I had it, and uh, yeah, she was right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were walking around the market, and he stops, and he looks at me and says, Andrew. And I'm like, did Karen? Karen's your wife. Yeah. Well, you know that. Yeah. But did she, like, text you something bad? Because it was like he had a somber look on his face. He says, Andrew. I'm like, everything okay? He's like, this is the best banana pudding I have ever had in my entire life. Like, I'm like... Oh, okay. That's a lot better than what I thought you were going to say. Cool. Cool. Is, is that when, is that when you told him that you need to go back and hug the woman who made I it? I really wanted to go back and give her a hug. Yes. It was closing time. The place was shutting down, but I really, I, not only did I want to go back and give her a hug, I also wanted to go back and buy out her store. <laughs> so, yeah. So I guess the banana pudding was good. Yep. So high marks for Reading Terminal Market as usual. As usual. I mean, as usual. Oh, yeah. 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 
Uh, high marks for really packs unplugged in general. It was a lot smaller. I think they said somewhere between 15 60% of the size of the show uh, sure. in the past. That makes sense. I didn't mention that we saw Little Darlin' Games and their game Race to Stupid, but if you go to the Facebook page, I did include a video of eating some spicy nuts. Spicy nuts! <laughs> which we did. Yep. With um, We had a little fun with them in that game, Kathy. too. So, yep. 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 That was pretty entertaining. We do have a copy of that as well. Uh, I think we're going to call it Race to Silly. Yep. But, you know. Yeah. So, speaking of that Facebook page, the way you get there, we are at Family Gamers AA on Facebook. And um, technically all of the other places, too. You can find us at Family Gamers AA on Twitter and Instagram and even once in a while on TikTok. Mm-hmm. You can join our Facebook community like we welcomed all those new members to. Uh, the easiest way to get there is to go to thefamilygamers.com slash community. I think everybody in this room is a member of that community. Uh, yes, in fact. Or else. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes. Uh, you can also... Email any of the three of us, even Corey. I welcome emails. <laughs> so my email is Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Corey at thefamilygamers.com. We have a system. Fancy that. We do. Yeah. We can't ever hire anybody with the same first name as anybody else. Yeah, it'll be a problem. <laughs> yeah. It'll yeah. be a problem. All right. <laughs> Don't forget about our merch. You can go to thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch to get t-shirts and hoodies and sweatshirts and all sorts of fun stuff with the Family Gamers logo mugs. and the play games with your kids, our work that we have had made. So check that stuff out. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about this podcast. And if you're so inclined, leave us a review and rating at Apple Podcast or wherever it is that you subscribe. Those help more than you can possibly know. You can also find us on TuneIn and Stitcher and Spotify. All kinds of places. And Amazon Music and, you know, all those places. Anywhere fine podcasts are sold. We'll cut your discount 10% off. <laughs> <laughs> the Family Gamers Podcast is sponsored by First Move Financial. Head over to firstmovefinancial.com forward slash family gamers to see how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Well, I think that's going to be it for us this week. Thanks so much for coming on, Corey. If it was just me and Andrew talking about PaxU, I would have just sat here and be like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, you kind of were anyway, but at least, you know. Corey but the two here, of you so. can go back and yeah, forth. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, we, we appreciate your contribution anyway. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So that's going to be it for us this week. If you celebrate Christmas, this is our last episode before Christmas. We will be bringing you an episode next week. But for everybody who's out there who's looking forward to next Saturday, Merry Christmas, everybody. And until then, play, play games, games with, with your kids. kids.